0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information including service times and directions or to find out more about us you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me this morning to Luke the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We've been talking about participating in prosperity and we've been presenting this and and looking at this from the standpoint that we have a covenant with God. We've been talking about the Abrahamic covenant and that prosperity is part and parcel uh, of the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant that we have in Christ. So we've been going along that line just on that, because prosperity is just one aspect of our covenant rights. We've been focusing on that today because we're going to receive communion. I uh, I want to talk today about the covenant in a broader sense. Amen? Glory to God. So uh, in Luke's gospel here, Jesus in the 14th verse, this is when He instituted the Lord's Supper. And we'll start in verse number 14. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles and the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Notice what was on Jesus' heart, his suffering. He said, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until... It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Notice he's, he's still mindful of his sufferings. He's still mindful of what he's going to give and who it's for. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want to especially point your attention to verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The Amplified Bible says This this cup is the new covenant ratified by my blood. He said, "Which, which is shed for you. Now this was just literally hours before Jesus went to the cross. Before his blood was spilled. And he's mindful of his suffering and he's mindful of who it's for. He said, it's for you. My body will be broken for you. This is the blood which I will shed for you. Now, when he says this is the new covenant, I, uh, I, I think maybe there's sometimes a lack of, of uh, real understanding of what is meant by the new cup. Co- new in relation to what? The new covenant isn't a replacement of the Abrahamic covenant. The new covenant is new in relationship to the Mosaic covenant. Go with me to Hebrews and we'll see this extensively. Go to Hebrews chapter 7, I think. Let me get over there. We're going to read into the 8th chapter, but we might start. In the sixth chapter. <laughs> now, in chapter six, Jesus is talking about beginning in verse number uh, 12, he begins to get, put, direct our attention to Abraham. Verse 13 says, for when God made a promise to Abraham and so forth. So it's talking about the immutability of his his word. And then it says in verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. Jesus was the forerunner of this covenant where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then in in chapter seven, he starts talking about Melchizedek. We've looked at some of these verses in relationship to tithing. But let's skip on down to verse number 11. He says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people receive the law. Notice he's comparing the priesthood of Melchizedek, of which Jesus is a is a is high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not according to the order of Levi, but according to the order of Melchizedek. And he says, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there? Uh, that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man is officiated at the altar. Now remember, the altar is a reference to the altar under the law of Moses. Uh, for it is evident that, I, that our Lord sprang from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. It's talking about the law, uh, the Old Testament law under Moses. But according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, there is an, an, an annulling of the former commandment. He's talking about, that's just an encapsulated reference to the law under Moses. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety Of a better covenant. Now the better covenant. Is in in reference. Or or compared to the lesser covenant. Which was the Mosaic covenant. He's not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Because remember Abraham. Gave homage to Melchizedek. A type of Christ. We know this. That. That our or, or Galatians tells us, us in chapter 3 that the promise was to the seed of Abraham, but not to seeds plural, but singular, to the seed who is Christ. Then you drop on down a little bit further and a couple more verses down. It says, if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Abrahamic covenant is still in effect. The Mosaic covenant was introduced because of sin. Let's go on. By so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Priests under the Mosaic laws. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save us to the uttermost, those who is is able to save to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a priest was fitting for us, us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests under Moses to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he, Jesus, did once for all when he offered up up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Let's continue reading into the 8th chapter. Now this is the main point of the things we were saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were a... If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Hallelujah. If you go on down and you read the eighth, and continue the eighth chapter and the ninth chapter, you continually see that he is comparing the dispensation of the law and the the covenant that God made with Israel in Moses' day. The Mosaic Covenant, and out of that came the law. The New Covenant is new in relation to that old law. Can you see that? Can you see the reference is is consistent all through there? If it goes on into the 8th chapter, verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinance imposed upon until the time of Reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now I said all of that to set the stage here and for it to be clear in your mind that when Jesus said a new covenant, he said on the night of of the Last Supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, ratified by my blood, which is shed for you. That new covenant was new. He was talking to people who were conscious of the law. He said, the law has has come to a a place of its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And now there's a new covenant. That new covenant that we have today is, is also new in reference to the Abrahamic covenant in the sense that it's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Because God made covenant through Abraham with Christ. Now follow me here. Go with me to the 15th chapter of Genesis. Hallelujah. Do you have your shouting clothes on? Glory to God. In chapter 15, which followed after the occasion where Melchizedek met Abraham returning from the spoils, with the spoils, and uh, Abraham gave him a tithe of all the spoils. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came, came to Abraham in, in a vision. Saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham's, his name hadn't been changed to Abraham yet. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham, Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body. He shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. Now I want you to notice that this happened at night because he took, you can't count the stars in the daytime. I mean, you can't even see the stars in the daytime. It would have been pointless to do this in the daytime. So he took him out at night. He said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. Well, you can't. So shall your descendants be. be. And it says that he believed in the Lord and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. Now, what happens next had to have been the next day. And I'll show you this and it'll be obvious when you read down a little further. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to give you this land to inherit it. Now this is the first time the Lord has mentioned Ur of the Chaldeans. If you go back to the to the 12th chapter, uh we'll go back to the very end of the 11th chapter, <clears throat> verse 28. This is our 27. This is genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Haran died before his father, Terah, in, in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so, uh, uh, Terah, in verse 31, took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter in law, Sarah, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out f- with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, they came to Haran and dwelt there. So there's Haran's the name of a a geographic place and Haran's also the name of a person. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house and uh, to a land I shall show you. Now Abraham obeyed but with compromise. He should not have taken lot with him. That was part of his, his his father's house. So anyway, he got into trouble over that. Lot was a big drain on him. But anyway, that's that's the uh that's that's the history of Abram. He lived and was raised in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now here it is ten years later, approximately ten years later, when the Lord is speaking to Abram after. Melchizedek, the encounter. said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now, this wasn't just a reminder of Abram's general uh, uh, you know, history. The Lord brought up Ur of the Chaldeans for a reason. And he said, Abram said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, dove, and a young pigeon. Now everything in what's about to take place is typical of Christ. These animals were separated for their purpose for three years. The three-year-old heifer, the three-year-old female goat, and the three-year-old ram. These were animals that were raised for sacrifice. They were raised from, from birth. They were set aside for their purpose of being sacrificed. And it was a three-year process. Jesus came into his ministry and his per, in preparation for his purpose which Jesus said, my purpose is to lay down my life. Remember, Peter took him inside and said, you know, we'd start talking about things that were gonna happen to him shortly in Jerusalem. Peter said, the, you know, this cannot be so. Jesus said, for this purpose, for this purpose, I was born. So there was a three-year period in which Jesus in his earthly ministry was preparing for his purpose, okay? Now, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. The, the, The Lord is speaking to Abram. This is the next day after he counted the stars. He said, bring me. Then he brought all these to him. Abram brought all these to him, that is to the Lord, and cut them in two down the middle. And placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, what Abram did here was in keeping with the way sacrifices and and covenant, not, not just any sacrifice, not just worship sacrifices, but specifically covenant sacrifices were done in Ur of the Chaldeans. And in, in many ancient civilizations at that time. During the time in which Abram was born, you remember what happened in, in Noah's day, how the people became so corrupt that God had to wipe out humanity, save for, you know, eight people. He says that the thoughts of men's hearts were wicked all the time. Violence had filled the earth. Well, after, uh, after Noah's time, the earth was repopulated, but it soon got in almost as bad a shape. Because there were no saved people on the planet. No, no saved people. Now, my wife and I have had this discussion several times about uh, things and about when, when, when people do dishonest things. And in a, in a conversation, we might be talking about you know, can you trust so and so? And I said, if, if they're not saved, you can't trust them. Unsaved people will do anything. You 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 can you can drop a, a money clip out of your pocket. Most unsaved people, even if they know it's yours, they won't give it to you. They'll put it in their pocket. They won't. When we have situations where uh, blackouts, you know, power blackouts happen and the, and the cities go dark, what happens? Lawlessness—it just breaks out. That's why God had to institute civil government was because of the lawlessness of men's hearts. Anytime time there's a there's a crisis in a city where the police are pulled back, what happens? People go wild. <clears throat> In Abram's time and in in, in before that time in these cultures, if someone, people needed confederacies. They needed to have partners to protect themselves from other people so they would find someone that they could enter into partnership with and covenant with. But it was hard to trust people. You know, you you have your your neighbor, for instance. You're going to enter into covenant because you've got you know a ten thousand acre ranch, and he's got a ten thousand acre ranch. But there are, there are lawless people all around. You want to go into covenant because you can join forces and protect one another. But how can you how can you really be sure about the man that you're entering into covenant to with? So the the covenant uh, was set apart like this. They would take uh, animals. Now it says here that Abram. He didn't just dismember this uh, uh, heifer and this, and this goat and this ram. He didn't just cut them up. says he split them in two down the middle. That means he cracked their skull and went right down the backbone all the way to their rump and cut those animals in through all the way and divided them in two halves. A very bloody, messy proposition. And there were three fairly good-sized animals. You remember, Pastor Greg, when we were in Africa hunting that game, and we in, the, in, the, in the evening we'd come in, we had several animals in the back of that pickup truck, that, and all we had done was shoot them. I mean, we hadn't butchered them or cut them in two. And I'm telling you, the bed of that truck was, was full of blood. Our tennis shoes was, were soaked in blood by standing in the back of that pickup truck with those animals that had just been shot. And I don't know how, but the but the uh the cook was at the hunting camp was also our our housekeeper, and he kept our room nice and and would wash our clothes and he would take our our blood soaked tennis shoes in the evening and next morning when we got ready to go out to hunt, those shoes were spick and span they were clean and dry. i don't know how he did it, but my point is there's a lot of blood in in the culture of the chaldeans and the and this is this is uh, this is actually verifiable by ancient writings. They would separate these, these animals, cut them in two. And there would be a trail of blood. The ground would be soaked in blood between those animals. And the two persons of this covenant would walk in between that those those bloody animals and pronounce curses upon themselves if they violated the conditions of the covenant. Both of them would do this. They would call, because they would would call death, destruction, everything you can imagine. They would call curses down. They, They would swear that this is what's gonna happen to me if I ever violate this covenant. The other person would do the same thing. That's why God brought up. Ur of the Chaldeans. So when he told Abram to bring him these three animals, Abram knew exactly what to do. He cut them down the middle from the head all the way down, put them in two, but he didn't walk in between them. He's waiting on God's instruction. Because God said, bring me these animals. And he did and he, and he, and he prepared them. Then he brought all these to him, cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away now when the sun was going down. So all day, I don't know what time of the day this happened, but for the remainder of the day, Abram sat and watched over those animals. These, this this was not a sacrifice of worship, this was an offering that that called judgment down. Abram knew that. That's what was being played out here. He said that he watched over this, and when the vultures would come down, Abram had to had to sh- shoo them away. Well, the vultures represent the devil in in the typology of of Christ. Jesus, when he went to the cross. He, and in the the hours preceding the cross, when he was in the garden, he was sorely tempted to not go through with this. He could have called 12 legions or 10,000 angels or whatever the, 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 the text is to come down and deliver him. Thank God he didn't. The enemy was making a final play for him to get him to not go through with this. Jesus kept brushing them off, causing them to go. Abram, these vultures were coming down. They were trying to interfere with what was about to happen. And Abram was, was standing guard and he would shoo these vultures away. Now when the sun was going down, so this had to be the next day from the time that he looked into the heavens and saw the stars. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Now this wasn't, just wasn't natural sleep. Abram just didn't get sleepy. This is the very identical language of when the deep sleep fell upon Adam. The Bible says God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And God opened up his side. In fact, go back with, because this will help us in a few minutes. Go back to Genesis and look at chapter, uh, where is that? Yeah, chapter two, down toward the chap, end of chapter two. Verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs. Now notice, God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. That means he opened the flesh. He opened Adam's flesh and took that rib out and then he closed it up. So go back now to chapter uh, 15 again. <coughs> When the sun was going down, a deep sleep, the same thing. This was the Lord causing a deep sleep to come upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. I want, I want you to get this, this, this scene of the scene of... You've got these animals that are laid out there in the, and the ground is saturated in blood. And... Abram's just sitting there waiting on the next instruction from the Lord. He knows what it represents. It represents the covenant and the and the curse of the covenant. And 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 God's not giving him any more instructions, except he knows to to wave off the the the, uh, the vultures. So then this this deep sleep falls upon him, and behold, horror and great darkness. This had to have been a a very uh, troubling and, and dark moment. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs "'and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. "'And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. "'Afterward they will come out with great possessions.'" As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be bur- buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation, they shall return your, your descendants shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking <coughs> a smoking oven, I think <coughs> excuse me then I think the old king James says a, a furnace, is that right? A smoking furnace and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Most commentators agree that the the uh, burning oven, the smoking the smoking oven, represented the affliction. Many times, uh, the Bible talks about. The afflictions of his people being put through the furnace of affliction. The affliction that uh, would befall somebody. And then also a burning torch. Now commentators sometimes are a little uh, differ on the, on the smoking, uh, smoking furnace. But the burning torch they always identify as divinity. This was God. What happened here, remember, the Lord is calling on Abram and he's going to enter into covenant with him. But Abram doesn't walk. It was Abram's place to walk through between those animals and to take the curses upon himself should he ever fail. But God couldn't let him do that because Abram would surely fail. Abraham would fail. God knew he would fail. God couldn't enter into covenant with Steve Morgan because he knew Steve Morgan would fail. Couldn't enter into covenant with me directly because he knew Edwin Anderson would fail. All of us, every man. He had to have somebody to go through that covenant, to go through that process who could not fail. The Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate, came down and walked through that bloody field. And in that bloody field, he called upon himself all of the curses that would befall an individual who would break that covenant. Even though he knew he couldn't break it, he pronounced, that he took those curses on himself. He pronounced death on himself. He pronounced judgment on himself. To come, it was prophetic. It, it, It couldn't happen yet because... He talks here about the the iniquity of the the Amorites. Well, the Bible says that in due time Christ came because it it took time for the world to get into the situation where Christ could come. Christ came in in a pre-incarnate position and walked through that bloody field and pronounced the curses that would befall Israel should they ever break, because he knew as he knew, he knew Abraham's descendants were going to fail. He knew that he already told them they're going to go into captivity. They're gonna, he knew they would fail. He took all of their curses. So that if they, if they through blood sacrifice, would have faith, their sins could be covered. But he also was looking forward to a day when he would come and fulfill that type. And on the cross. Jesus walked through that bloody field. On the cross, he laid down his life. It's interesting that in the the tabernacle and in the temple, when the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood, they would sprinkle the blood seven times. And there were seven different uh, uh, areas where Jesus shed blood in his suffering. Started in the in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, Bible says his sweat became as as large drops of blood. Jesus shed his blood first of all for our mental clarity. He was tormented in mind. He said, "I'm I, I'm I'm grievously vexed and tormented," and he shed his blood for our peace of mind. He he, he went into Caiaphas. Uh, uh, facility there and he get, the Bible says he gave his face to the smiters and they beat him and they slapped him and they pulled the hair. I'm telling you what, you just, men, you know this. Take one little hair of your beard and, and pull it out. It just about brings water to your eyes. I mean, it's painful. They pulled the hair out of his face and beat him and he shed blood. His 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 visage as far as from his face was so altered and, and, and distorted because you see the face of the righteous shine so that our face would shine with righteousness. That blood was shed in that encounter. They took a crown of thorns and, and beat it down onto his head and he shed blood the third time for our, for our uh, peace. He went to the cross and they beat his back even before he went there, they, they laid the, the, the stripes on his back. And the Bible says his back was, was beaten open like a, like a field that's plowed. He shed his blood for our healing. They drove nails in his hands so that our hands would be cleansed. So that we could do the work of God. That all everything we lay our hands to would prosper. They drove nails into his feet. So that our walk with God would be cleansed. He shed his blood. And Jesus Jesus came down in Abram's day and went through that process. So that the time would come when he could come and actually walk the earth and fulfill that type. Oh glory to God. The new covenant that we have and everything that's involved in it. The forgiveness of sins, remission of sins, peace with God, redemption, deliverance from everything the enemy would ever bring against us. Our healing, our our prosperity, everything we need. It's all in that blood that was shed. The blood. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood which I shed for you. Glory to God. When we talk about prosperity, when we talk about healing, when we talk about forgiveness, when we talk about peace of mind, when we talk about uh, any of the of the provisions of the covenant, it's all based in that blood. There is power in the blood of Jesus. To deliver, to heal, to save, to prosper. Oh glory to God. When we receive communion, it's not just an ordinance. It's not just a ritual. It's inti- it's intended for us to focus our attention on the blood and the ba- battered body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it cost him that we could go free. Oh glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. We don't say enough about the blood. In fact, you couldn't say too much about the blood. You just couldn't. Let me just just quickly read you a couple of scriptures. Come on up, Michael. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. We were there. Let's read this again. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse number 12 says, not with the blood of goats and calves. That was just a type. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Go with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1. Oh, I love the verse. I love to read And meditate on the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Revelation 1 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn over to the fifth chapter of Revelation. Verse number nine. And they sang a new song. (laughs) This, This is what's going on in heaven. Right after the rapture of the church. They sang a new song. Glory to God. Saying you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth you redeemed us to God by your blood go back to 1st Peter 1st Peter chapter 1 Glory to God. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct. Received by tradition from your fathers. You weren't redeemed with those those things. But with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh. How precious is the blood of Christ. It wasn't the the blood of an ordinary man. Yes, he he was fully man. He was born of a woman, but his blood came from his father. Glory to God. It wasn't tainted blood. It was pure, holy blood. It was divine blood. Glory to God. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot and then go with me finally over to Revelation 12 Revelation 12 glory to God verse 11 and they overcame him we can say this and we overcome the devil the, the, the accuser Verse number 10, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. The more you testify about the blood, the more you speak about the blood, everything we have is on the basis of the blood of Christ. The new covenant, which was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, it was the replacement of, of the Mosaic covenant, but it was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Oh, glory to God. It's all in the blood. We overcome through the blood. It'll do you so much good when when you're facing a test or a trial or some type of an attack of the enemy to remind the devil, devil, I have this covenant right through the blood. I'm in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. His blood was his blood ratified my healing. His blood ratified my needs would be met. His blood is ratified that I would have peace. His blood has ratified that I can that I can live a pure and holy life free from sin. His blood. The old timers. Then when I grew up, we had an expression of pleading the blood. They would plead the blood. I never understood that. I always took pleading in the sense of begging. We begged the blood. I just couldn't understand it. That's not what that meant. When you go into court and they ask you to testify against yourself, you'll say, I plead the fifth. I have a right The fifth amendment gives me the right not to testify against myself. And so I plead the fifth. That means means I rely on, I call into practice the fifth amendment. We plead the blood. When the enemy comes to attack us, glory to God, we say I'm relying on the blood. I'm taking my position in the blood. I'm declaring the blood of Jesus. Jesus. You have no right over my body. You have sickness has no right to reign in my body. Destruction has no right to reign in my body. Distress and and, and depression has no right to reign in my life. Through the blood, I plead the blood of Jesus. Glory to God. Oh the blood. Oh the blood. Oh the blood. Oh, glory to God. Make much of the blood. I said make much of the blood. Talk about the blood. Sing about the blood. Rejoice in the blood of Jesus. For the covenant that we enjoy. That God first gave to Abraham. To Christ through Abraham. Was ratified by blood. Glory to God.